0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandprez.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. So, have you ever kind of gotten in a rut with the music that you listen to? You know, now you can really, with these different apps, you can listen to any music that you want to, and I'm stuck, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and so I just listened to the same songs over and over again. But I went fly fishing in May uh, with a good friend, and we were listening to some different music. And so I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to start listening to some, you know, some music. I used to love listening to uh, banjo music and mandolin, so I started listening to Sturgill Simpson. Now, I don't support Sturgill Simpson's uh, theological point of view, but I love some of his music, and he's got this one song that I've been listening to a lot. It's called Sea Stories. See, Sturgil was in the Navy, and he'd uh, seen the world uh, from the inside of a bar, he says. And this is one of the lines from this song. I've got sea stories, and they're all true. Might seem a little far-fetched, but why would I lie to you? Memories make forever stains. Still got salt running through my veins. I've got sea stories, and my shell back too. Now, a shell back is what a sailor receives when they cross the equator for the first time. They, become, they start in the Navy as a polywog, and then when they cross the equator, they get a shell back. And he says, sea stories. And so I was thinking about, like, what, what do you say from the pulpit, the last opportunity that you have to share with your people? What do you talk about? So I wanted to sh- share some sea stories with you. And I'm gonna do this through the lens of the Apostle Paul, because Paul, was also, you know, he was a church planter and missionary, but he was also a sailor. He had to be, because that's how he got around the Mediterranean. And so if we read through the book of Acts, we see and hear Paul's sea stories, being shipwrecked, uh, crashing into rocks, nearly drowning, going to foreign lands where people thought he was an enemy, being received like a king, all these different sea stories that remember and point us to the gospel. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It's kind of a long one this morning, but you can take it. There's lunch on the horizon. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility... except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken. And they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your grace, for these stories of Paul that remind us of the the true account of the spread of the gospel all over the Mediterranean. And may, God, these stories come home to us to remind us that we are part of your great story that you're telling, to bring a people to yourself and to make known the glory of your grace to the nations, that you would use each and every one of us in our story to point people to the greatest story. Pray this in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. Well, my first day on the job at Woodland Presbyterian Church, uh, someone told me that Sue Goldberg was in the hospital. Sue uh, was a gem of the church, and she was one of the first double lung transplants in history. So I headed up to Baptist Hospital, and I got to the parking garage, and I parked, and then I started walking up that place, and I, was, I had no idea where I was going. Now, obviously, it's a huge complex. This is my first day you know, doing a pastoral call. I just didn't know where I was going, and so I walked, I walked up that kind of, you go to, out of the parking garage, you walk up the street, and all the hospital rooms where all the patients are over here, I took a right. And remember, I had come from St. Pete, Florida, where there's a lot of Yankees down there, and people were not as nice and as welcoming as the people at Baptist Hospital. I walked in, I said, I'm lost, I'm trying to find someone. Oh, dear darling, come on over here, let me show you. And so this lady walked me over into the, onto the right building. As we were walking along, someone said, well, can I help you find something? And she handed me off to some guy. And that guy said, well, where are you going? I go, I don't know. He goes, well, we'll just come over here, and you just look up the number, and they send you, well, let me just take you there. And he walks me to the thing, and at the elevator, someone says, hey, where are you going? And I'm like, well, these are, people are nice up here in Memphis, Tennessee. And five different people Help me get to Sue Goldberg's room. It was amazing. So I start visiting with Sue, and I just learned about Sue, that she had a, uh, a loving faith in God and a great sense of humor. As a person that had received two uh, brand new lungs, she was potentially any day from being called to go home, and she knew it. And she said, that's why I don't buy green bananas. <laughs> you with me? Is green bananas take a little while to get ripe. For those of you not aware of fruit. Well, I remember uh, a few years later, I helped to officiate Sue's funeral with her son-in-law, uh, John Beaumont, who was a son of this church, who married uh, Jill Beaumont. Now, they actually also live in Kirkwood, Missouri, and attend Green Tree Community Church, where we're going. But we were able to officiate at Sue's funeral. And one of the things that uh, Sue... Uh, shared with me was, uh, because she had lived in Memphis a long time, she said, oh, everybody's got an Elvis story. Now, it's a, this is a dated illustration, right? But she said, everyone has an Elvis story. That's some encounter that people had had with Elvis, and hers was when she was down uh, down near Graceland, Elvis came out uh, with a horse, and, and she gave her, his horse a carrot. It was just as funny little story. And maybe I have that reversed. Maybe she had the horse and he had the carrot. I don't know. It's my last Sunday. But it was everyone had an Elvis story. And then I, what I said in that service is that everybody had a Sue story because of the kind of person that she was. And that was my first day on the job. My second day on the job, I went to the first, or one of the meetings of the Strategic Planning task force. Mr. Moore is smiling, right? My second day in the job, the strategic planning task force was this vision that became the new building over here, the middle school room, a renovated space in our choir room, and renovated classes downstairs, all this wonderful stuff. But at the time, we didn't know what it was going to be. And someone in the room said, well, Matt, because we thought, well, we need a new sanctuary, and we need new athletic fields, and we need a, a triple-decker story thing with a hot tub on the top over here. All this stuff, it's only going to be 21 million dollars and someone said to me, Matt, how big do you think the new sanctuary needs to be? And I was like, you're joking, right? I mean, it just depends on how many people you're going to invite to church. <laughs> that was my second day. Okay, on my third day, here's what happened. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do every single day. 14 years. There's all these different experiences of serving in a church. And you don't really realize when you go to seminary the varying things that you're going to experience, the different challenge that you're going to encounter, but One of the things that I do wanna mention is just the the great blessing that it's been for me to work with Mr. Moore and the school and all the teachers that are here today. It's just a blessing. Um, Ms. Simmons, we've had a lot of fun uh, in chapel, uh, encouraging children to know Jesus and to make him known. Um, At this school, these kids are being prepared emotionally, spiritually, uh, academically, athletically. My children are proof of that. They're able uh, to go to high school. My my daughter got into college. I'm very excited, dropped her off last Sunday. but we've been here. I've gotten to speak at 14 different graduation uh, ceremonies. Mr. Moore, you've got to find someone else next year. Chapel twice a month. I've had thousands of conversations with students and parents and teachers out in that foyer, in the hallway, in classrooms. Our friendship with the Moors has been a great blessing. Our kids growing up playing sports together. It's a great partnership between Woodland School and Woodland Church. Very thankful for that. Because, you see, ministry is always about relationships. It's about relationships. How many of you remember the sermon from 2017 on the third Sunday of the year? I don't remember it. I don't remember my sermon from two or three weeks ago. We remember relationships. We remember people. The people who were significant to us in our lives. And you are the people who were significant to me in my life. It's about connecting with each other And we can do that in a more powerful and profound way because of our connection with Jesus. Because Jesus forgives our sins. He makes us righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he's done. And then when we realize that and we appreciate that relationship that we have with God, it makes us look at one another with much more compassion, much more grace, much more uh, forgiveness for when the person did or didn't do the thing we thought they should. When we fail, we're willing to ask for forgiveness. It's always about relationships. Think about what Paul says. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From that first day I set foot in Asia. We know that Paul lived in Ephesus for many years. He lived with them. He was serving the Lord with all humility, humility with tears, and with trials. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house. The house, testifying to both Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God, of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was living in Ephesus. It was this materialistic culture. It was an over sexualized culture. It was a commercial culture. It was a city on the water that had significance and power. And the people of that church were struggling to follow Jesus faithfully in the midst of that culture. Does that sound familiar? And so Paul shows up And he is sharing with them the goodness of the gospel, pointing them to something greater. What it means to be part of the church, as broken as it is, to be connected to Jesus and his powerful redemptive purposes in our lives. And so for us, now I'm certainly no Paul, that's for sure. But when we came to Memphis, the city on the water, our goal was to love God and to love you. We sought to do so with humility in the midst of tears and through the trials. And through this time, there have been many trials. I've officiated over 50 funerals since I've been here. Nine people connected to our church died last year in the stretch of four or five months. I've buried seasoned saints whose lives were lived for Christ, a man in his 20s who struggled with mental illness, and a little baby girl who spent her whole life in the hospital. I'll never forget on December 20th, sitting in a staff meeting. Someone came in and said Thomas died. So we went to the hospital, and three days later, the night before Christmas Eve, we had a service to celebrate his life. And you may not know this, but the night before he died, we had a session meeting. And I said, would someone close in prayer? And Thomas said, I will. And in his prayer, he included, I pray for the people who've lost a loved one this difficult time of year that they would experience the comfort of Jesus. He's praying for his own family the night before he died. These moments of the sorrow, of sadness, when what you experience doesn't make sense. When someone shares with you a deep, dark secret from the past, a wound so deep that tears the flesh of the whole story of a church. A place of hope and safety had been a den of iniquity, a place so vile that only the healing power of God could bring restoration. Moments when you cry out and you say, God, how can you allow this? Something so heinous. But you know that God is working to bring restoration. Jesus is on the throne, and when the light is shined on that dark chapter of our church, He gave others who had experienced similar kinds of harm the faith to know that this was a safe community a safe place for children a safe place for those who'd been abused and who took a find healing i spoke to them they came to me and said i need to talk about this they shared their stories with me and how they're going to get help from the healer see jesus himself was harmed by those who were supposed to be faithful jesus was a victim of injustice And Jesus, through his resurrection, makes a way for healing for all those who are brokenhearted. And that's what Paul has been talking about when he talks to the Ephesians. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Thankfully, we will be back to visit at some point. It's just across the river, St. Louis, right? Therefore, I testify to you that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It is our hope and prayer that we will see your faces again in this life, but most definitely in the life to come. And we trust that through the resurrection, we will rejoice with you in eternity. And for this season, while we are away, until we meet again, we pray and hope that you will experience the life of Jesus Christ that is found in the church, in the brokenness of the church, in the ministry of the church, that you would not shrink back from connecting with a community of faith that can encourage you to walk by grace through the person of Jesus. This good news of the salvation of our Lord that we can know for certain that we have life today and life in the life to come. You never know when it's going to hit you. I baptized a student one time who had come to faith when she heard the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I think she was sitting right over here. Something about that song drew her to faith. The Holy Spirit was working in her life to show her his love, and she trusted him. Once an elder told me that he had come to faith through the officer training. Now, that's not the normal order of things. Elder first, Christian second. But it worked out. God was drawing people to himself. My hope and prayer is that always you would see Jesus in the ministry of this church. It's a great blessing to me to administer the sacraments, to baptize your children and my own. It's a reminder of the cleansing power of the gospel. Jesus' blood washes away our sin as as the waters of baptism cleanse us and make us right with God. I remember visiting a girl in the hospital who had been hit in the face with a baseball at a Redbirds game. Seeing her in that hospital bed with a broken eye socket broke her heart, but God healed her. And she's as beautiful as ever. Once a little girl fell off the platform in SK. Those platforms that don't exist anymore in the classrooms down there. And I went down to, I didn't know this family, went down to Le and I walk in, and this girl's got a golf ball-sized welt sticking out of her head. It looked like a weird alien antenna. And I just walked in. I said, I'm the pastor of Woodland. Can I pray for you? And they said, yes. What a blessing it is. At one time, this was a kind of a funny story. So I was up here. I think it was the Friday after Thanksgiving. There's nobody on campus. I don't even know why I was here. And I was leaving, and there's a lady knocking on the front door of the school and I'm like, can I help you? You know, what do you, what do you need? And she's like, oh, my, my daughter is in the hospital. And, you know, I'm just trying to connect with someone. Could you go visit her? And I'm like, sure. You know, I walked into a bunch of hospital rooms where I don't know people. I'll go in. And so I go, I walk into this hospital room, and everybody's asleep. And that's really awkward because, you know, if you're in the hospital, you know how hard it is to get rest in the hospital. here. So I'm not going to, hey, I'm the, I'm the pastor at Woodland. Wake up. I need to pray for you. But her husband's laying in the chair asleep. The mom's in the chair laying asleep. So I'm like, well, I'll just do this. I'll just, a little card. Reverend Matt Miller, I came and prayed for you. I hope you're doing okay. Well, right as I was setting that down, the grandmother woke up. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm Matt. You know, uh, her mother-in-law asked me to come pray. And so I just came by to pray. And and then the, the husband wakes up. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm mad. <laughs> just got a card here. I'm going to pray for you guys. And, and he's like, oh, okay, okay. And then she wakes up. I'm like, oh, hey, we never met before, but I'm the pastor at Woodland. Your kid goes to school there. and Can I pray for you? And they're like, sure. Dear Lord, I hope she gets better. Amen. Peace. <laughs> you just, there's no class in seminary for that. Awkward. I've officiated weddings, beautiful celebrations of the establishments, uh, of establishment of covenants. Some in this room, some in barns, some in other states. I've done vow renewals in this sanctuary and in nursing homes. Um, I had one wedding. It was a total disaster total disaster but here's some advice if you're thinking about getting married don't ask the pastor to do the wedding a few weeks before it and then have three different kinds of musical experiences with no sound system and then when you come to the rehearsal you run the rehearsal instead of the pastor just a little bit of advice paul says pay careful attention to yourselves and he means when you plan your wedding i'm sure he has to mean that i'm just kidding Pay attention to yourselves in which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers. Take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, now I'm confident that a fierce wolf is not coming in because it's Mike Gallup. You're you're in good hands. But Paul is warning them, and he's saying, For three years I did not cease to admonish you with tears. And now I commend you to the word of God by his grace, which is able to build you up. I commend you, church, to the elders that have been called to serve you, to the deacons who are caring for you and encouraging you, I entrust you to this amazing church staff who works diligently to encourage you in faith to oversee all that happens here. I will miss our weekly laugh meetings, uh, staff meetings, where we have every one of us all has our quirks and idiosyncrasies. And I just want to confess to you, if I've ever said to you, duly noted or a thank you for your feedback, it means whatever you just said to me, I'm going to totally ignore. <laughs> Duly noted. I'm sorry for that. It basically means nothing. I just heard what you said, and nothing is going to happen after, afterward. No, we have this great stuff. So Russell has the tenderest heart, and he gets choked up if somebody coughs. <laughs> Every time I walk past his office, he looks up and he's like, Smiles, right? He's smiling right now. <laughs> Catherine comes every meeting with a sticky note filled with 17 things that we all have to do. I have my sticky note. I have my sticky note. She's committed to seeing this place be a church of hope and of joy and is never discouraged. She does have a thermostat problem, and that will be taken up in her evaluation. <laughs> if you just want it a little warmer, you don't have to turn it to 95. Uh, Betty Sue puts words in your mouth, you know, but she has the best devotions of all time. She has a fierce commitment to the Tigers, to the Grizzlies, and to every one of you. She loves you. Dee Dee is a unicorn of church administration. She is that rare person who is able to organize and and keep us all in line, but does so with a pastoral, gentle heart of kindness. She's a deep woman of faith and of prayer, and she loves all of you as well. And Brian, Brian just keeps getting better. He's growing as a leader. He's demonstrating increasing wisdom and faith, and if you tell him anything, good or bad, he goes, sweet. (laughs) So if you need an encouraging word, just go to Brian. He'll say, sweet. And Lydia, Lydia cares for all your little ones. She wraps them up and she cares for them. Paul says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to me into my necessities. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm just so thankful for all of you who have served as elder or deacon with me. In the last 14, if you've served... As an elder or a deacon in the last 14 years, will you raise your hand up high? A lot of people had to go through that officer training, right? <laughs> You've entertained all my crazy ideas about a way to do new ministry. You've ministered to me through your commitment to Christ and his church. You've challenged me to grow as a disciple. You've helped me to become the person that I am. You did this. When Brandy and I came, we wanted to give. We wanted to give leadership. We wanted to give vision. We wanted to give the gospel. And we wanted to give all these things. But in the end, we're the ones who have really received. We've received your encouragement, your challenge, your faithfulness, your love. You have blessed me. You've blessed my wife. You've blessed my family. We are so grateful for your friendship. Through the good times and the bad, you've been there. And, you know, we'll always have COVID, won't we? We'll always have COVID. Okay, one more story. So this summer, I had a chance to go to the Great Escape, which is a camp I hadn't been to in a long time. And I went with, let's see, these guys, some of these guys sitting up front here, uh, and and there's Ava and Heather. Poor Heather went, Cubits, as, a, as the girl leader in North Dakota. We had a good time. They had to travel with all these uh, stinky boys. We had so much fun. It, we went to camp, and it wasn't a bougie camp. It wasn't some fancy, bougie, nice camp. It was a rustic camp in Ocoee, uh in East Tennessee, and so what The Great Escape is, is it's walking through mud, and it's a shaving cream fight, and it's soccer, and it's games, and it's also quiet times with students talking about faith. It's, it's a music service where people are jumping up and down, singing praises to the Lord, and you're just like, wow, this is amazing, just really sensing the Spirit of God at work. It's one guy, Miles telling funny stories all the time, uh, drawing mustaches and eyebrows on his face uh, on the way there and on the way back, buying slime at the convenience store for no reason. And then saying, I love God and I love Jesus. Can I offer the prayer? And we said, sure. And we're in the circle and we say, Miles does the prayer. So Miles begins to pray. And it's just a sweet prayer. Oh, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you've given us and 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 Pastor Matt, you take it from here. <laughs> sure, Miles. <laughs> and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him after being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. So the ministry at Woodland Church began with a visit to the hospital with a senior member who is a gem of the church, and in some ways it ends with the next generation of students who are growing in their commitment to the Lord Jesus and all kinds of people in between. It's been such a blessing for us to be here. Through the hardships, through the trials, through the challenges, Jesus is on the throne. And Jesus loves Woodland, and so do I. you pray with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.